And I have just travelled the Gibb River Road from Kununurra across here to Derby and across the most amazing Australian northwest landscape of the Kimberleys. And I've got to say, to look into the scrub and look into the, the country as I travel is really quite profound. And as I'm travelling, I'm wondering, what's going on out there in the bush? There's a lot more than what you can just see from the road. And I've got a curious about this. So I'm now talking to Dr. James Smith, who is a senior ecologist for the Northwest with the Australian Wildlife Conservancy. Uh, g'day, James. Hey, Rod. How are you? Now, the Australian Wildlife Conservancy, what, what is it? It's a non-for-profit organisation. It was started in the early 2000s by one businessman in particular, Martin Copley, and now it's grown to uh, over 20 properties all around Australia. And what, what are these properties? We call them wildlife sanctuaries, and they're aimed at conserving threatened species that are either undergoing massive declines or have declined in their um, uh, ranges throughout Australia. The goal of Australian Wildlife Conservancy is to protect all of Australia's species and the habitats in which they live. Uh, okay, now what's the current state of the Australian native fauna? Australia has one of the worst uh, extinction records in the world and many of the small native mammals, small native mammals in particular have undergone massive declines. So AWC, Australian Wildlife Conservancy, is focused on uh, turning that around. Can you give me some examples of that? Well, one of the best examples is the lesser bilby, which is our logo. It used to be, a lot of people are familiar with the bilby in central Australia, but the lesser bilby also used to be present. Um, that was extinct pretty soon after Australians, Europeans moved into Australia. So it, it's gone? Yep. Gone, I mean, it means gone forever, obviously. Yep. There's a few museum specimens, that's it. Yeah. How does that make you feel? It's <laughs> a big question. I don't know, I think as Australians it's a, it's a pretty sad story. I mean, Australians are patriotic for a lot of reasons, uh, you know, for sports in particular, um, at a national level, at a local level, at a regional level. What a lot of people don't realise is that there are many species um, just known only from their region, which means nowhere else in Australia, which means nowhere else in the world. And uh, if we lose all of those species, uh, it's a very th- sad thing for Australia. I'll take, for example, kangaroos. Everyone's familiar with red kangaroo, which is you know, the Qantas symbol known from the Australian desert. But actually there's around 60 species of kangaroo in Australia, from the biggest red kangaroo right down to the Monjon, which is Australia's smallest rock wallaby and only known from the northwest Kimberley, where, where I work. Uh, and it's right down to the Monjon, which is only known from the northwest Kimberley and in one of the species that AWC is working to protect. So now you use the word sad, and that's uh, an emotional term, which means you have a, a personal connection to these things, and, and I do too as, as we speak. So I, I feel immensely sad to think of these animals. But just say for a moment I was a hardcore accountant. I only care about money, uh, profit returns, and if, if I were to take, say, a management approach to this, why, why does it matter? Well, a lot of species perform a lot of ecosystem functions that we don't know about necessarily at at present. But the bigger thing for me is, I guess, is there's a finality to these types of decisions. So if you... You may may not be interested in if monjons persist um, uh, in the Australian environment, be able to making that decision for your kids and for your kids' kids. 
And think of how cool it would be to see a mammoth. Everyone would love to see a mammoth, but no one's ever going to see one. And that's the decision we're making for our children, is that there's all these species that they could have seen and we let them go. Yeah, and we could have did, done something, but we, but we didn't. That's right, and that's what we're trying to turn around at ABC. Uh, yeah. can, can you give me some more examples of uh, animals that are under threat? Well, for example, in northern Australia where I work, um, there's roughly 30-odd small to medium-sized mammals. About half of those are threatened with decline. Some of them A are... half? Yep. A half? Yep. And some of those have undergone major range contractions, say golden back tree rats used to be present from Broome to uh, just south of Darwin. They're now contracted right back to the northwest Kimberley, uh, the, the northern Kimberley coast on the western side. How, how rapid is this change? It's all happened since European settlement. And, so. and what's the rate over... I mean, is it more pronounced in recent times? Uh, it's a bit harder to gauge because records vary uh, across Australia. So uh, northern Australia is now undergoing the collapses that have happened in the central deserts um, that happened 50, 60 years ago. Australian Wildlife Conservancy is aiming to turn this around to some extent. How's it doing that? So here in the north we conduct large-scale land management activities such as getting control of inappropriate fire, controlling introduced uh, feral herbivores and then we have targeted management looking into the responses of biodiversity uh, to those to those large-scale management action. Why why have Australian animals been so under threat? What is it that's causing them to go into such disastrous decline? Well in the north for example the three main threats are inappropriate fires uh, damage caused by introduced herbivores that's horses cattle and donkeys and feral cats and foxes there's no foxes in the north there's no foxes in the north no. oh my they're not in the tropics oh okay my profound ignorance <laughs> is on display okay so inappropriate fire burning let's let's start with that one what does that mean so in northern Australia, there's um, a very striking difference between the wet and the dry seasons, and you might have quite a bit of rain around Christmas time, and then come April, May, you won't get any more rain um, for the rest of the year. So as the year progresses, grass dries off, um, the winds get stronger, everything gets hotter. Come towards October, November, you get large storms that bring a lot of lightning, but they don't bring a lot of rain initially. So those lightning strikes start large fires, and if there's nothing to stop them, they can travel. Historically, they have known, been known to travel up to a million kilometres. Sorry, cover a million hectares. Well, so they're big fires and, and not controlled and much hotter? Much hotter, yeah. So if the whole of the understory is dry and there's hot wind behind it, uh, those fires can kill canopy trees. So all the gum trees that you see uh, in the savannah will get killed as well. Is that a uh, profound and long-term change, the landscape, when that happens? Uh, yeah, so what, what that will do over the long term is kill off, firstly, all the fire-sensitive trees, um, some of which are probably very important for native species, like ones that produce fruit, uh, and then dramatically, over the long term, dramatically alter the structure of the, the savannah. Now, are we... So Australian Wildlife Conservancy, not just AWC, but uh, across the north of Australia, how is the fire management changing now? 
very political question. So Australian Wildlife Conservancy has the Ecofire project, which runs over about 3 million hectares of the central Kimberley. Uh, there are other agencies, such as Parks and Wildlife, that burn uh, other areas of the Kimberley as well. And it's all aimed at starting smaller fires earlier in the year, which don't burn as far. The dew fall overnight puts them out. They don't burn as hot, so they don't kill trees. Uh, which means that later in the year when bigger fires inevitably start, they're pulled up by these earlier season scars and also means you have different age stands of vegetation throughout uh, the savannah rather than one uh, monoculture that gets burnt every year. Is this what you call mosaic burning and are you trying to recreate what the Aboriginal people did prior to white settlement? Uh, in a nutshell, yes. It's called mosaic burning because of the, the sort of patchworks that you end up with of different age stands of vegetation. Uh, we obviously can't walk across country uh, on such a broad scale as Aboriginal people used to do when they were living on country, so now we do it by dropping aerials in centuries by helicopter. Oh, okay, so you're just using technology. And how do you decide what area to burn? Uh, we'll make detailed plans the start of every year and we'll make plans for our own sanctuaries and then we'll talk to our neighbours about how they would like to burn and what areas they would like to burn. And it's all based on what burnt the year before, how much rainfall we've had and those sorts of things. Okay, so now we've got a small animal like a, a native rodent or something and here comes a fire front. Uh, what's it going to do? We've looked into that question specifically for a couple of species of native rodent and in a nutshell they just run into their burrows and hide. And further to that, uh, we followed them afterwards. They don't seem to starve to death, um, they don't seem to move away from burnt areas. The main thing impacting on uh, small native mammals in late season hot fires is the impact of feral cats. Ah, feral cats. Let's go up to feral cats in a moment, but uh, what do much of these things eat? What, what do the, the, like the, the, the small rodents, I mean, then maybe there isn't a single answer to this, but what's their diet? Oh, the, the, most of the smaller native animals just eat uh, uh, grains, grass seed, basically. And, and so when it's burnt, um, do they are still able to find seeds to eat? Seem to be able to, yeah. Perhaps yeah. they like roasted seed. Okay. Now, and the bigger animals... Where do they go? Do they, they don't if they don't burrow? I don't know if anyone knows that. <laughs> <laughs> they run away. <laughs> yeah, either run run through the fire. I mean, if it's an early season fire, they can run through it. Yeah. I, okay. Yeah. So, but th- that's uh, an open question. In other words, yeah. So now cats. You talk about cats. What's the impact of cats? Our research from Northern Australia has shown that cats will target late season fires and we think that's, or we know that that's because they, all the cover has been taken away, all the native rodents are still there, it's basically easy pickings. Uh, we've put satellite trackers on cats and we've followed, like I said before, rodents um, radio track them as well and we, we know that cats avoid early season fire scars but they're attracted to late season fire scars and that's because they can hunt much more effectively. So cat, the cat behaviour and, and they've adapted to, to this in some way, so it seems. So what can we do about cats? In northern Australia... 
culling them by shooting or trapping is seems to be very ineffective. The best thing we can do is retain some cover on the ground by getting on top of these hot lay season fires and getting on top of feral herbivores. How much can a cat eat? Our research has shown cats eating up to seven native animals per night and estimates for cats around Australia vary but a conservative estimate is about four million cats so that's millions of native animals being eaten every night. What sort of population density would be up here in the northwest? Do you have an estimate of that? Uh, at Mornington, we're looking at about a cat every five square k's, a male cat every five square k's. Wow. And these are just people's moggies that escaped from some time back? No, they're all descendants from... Well, majority, vast majority of them are descended from uh, the First Fleet, essentially. They all came here with European settlement and spread quickly across the country. Really? Yep. Wow. That's amazing. Um, so ha- now with the programs that uh, Australian Wildlife Conservancy is running, how do you know, how do you track your success? How do you know that your measures are working? Uh, we have quite a comprehensive survey strategy that we run every year to look at all sorts of biodiversity type indicators from the structure and composition of flora to the uh, numbers and different types of animals that we catch and so we do that every year and then we also have specific targeted research that we run to look at specific questions in relation to to how native species respond to our management actions. Well what are your results so far? Uh, If you remove feral herbivores you get a vast increase in not only the number of small mammals that you catch but the number of different types you catch and if you get on top of fire and remove feral herbivores that effect is much more pronounced. So it, it is effective? Yep. We're saying. Yep. Now a moment ago you were talking about the fire regime and how you talk to your neighbouring uh, property owners and so on. How do you find the broader community responds to the activities of AWC? Well, in terms of fire, it's all very positive. I mean, pastoralists burn country for a different reason, but it's all the outcomes are all the same. So if you have large fires that are burning the vast majority of your property every year, that's not good for cattle either. So small-scale patchy burns are good for pastoralists, good for biodiversity. What's the impact of grazing animals, and how does that affect a landscape? Introduced herbivores, cattle, horses and donkeys in large numbers cause serious erosion, particularly to creekside areas. Uh, they, can be, they can spread weeds and they can be vectors for various weeds. Oh, do, do you have camels up here? No camels, no. No camels? Do, do, do you know why that is? Or is it just not suit them? Or is no one's really study that? Not suitable in some way, same as foxes. Okay. Well, James, it's been uh, a great pleasure to talk to you and um, the work of Australian Wildlife Conservancy is very important and uh, I wish you all the best. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Rod. Good to meet you.